single fucking one of you. Break from KB, LeBadron, and Barry. Barry, they love when I curse in the opening. So today, Barry, back from Lutz, we have Tales from Lutz. We have a match of the week where we are going to Mexico without the benefit of Roy Lucier, but I digress. Also, Barry, nice conversation with now officially friend of the show, Terry Allen. You may know him better as Magnum T.A. Barry. Yeah, what a what a nice guy too. And you know, this was I didn't know Magnum really. I think we had had two conversations prior to the fan fest, and uh, got to know him a little bit down in uh, Lutz. And then we obviously had this conversation. What a nice, humble guy. What a grounded human being. It's it's refreshing to talk to somebody so uh so grounded like that. So I think you just said it. I think we can officially get get him the T-shirt. Friend of the show now. The extremely valuable friend of Breaking Kayfabe without an Barry T-shirt. So, uh, you know, and, and I will say, first of all, I, I completely agree with you. I'm going to say of all the guys we've interviewed, and we've had a lot of guys on here that were nice, uh, you know, a few that uh, weren't so terrific. But I think, generally speaking, 95% of the guys we've had on here have been good guys and uh, easy to talk to. I want to say of that percentage the two that came off wrestling aside as just two of the nicest guys you'll ever going to meet is steamboat and and magnum what do you think yeah it, so if i was going i was thinking too and i you know everybody will say who i your hate when that happens is. when you think barry it's very scary it, well, the good news, it doesn't really happen too often. Well, that's, so true. that's true. This is a rare occurrence lately as I live in brain fog. But I, I was thinking in my head, and, and I brought this up when we had that conversation with Magnum. I do think that maybe Magnum and Steamboat might have been the most impactful guests we had. The ones where I got a little choked up. Steamboat telling that story about his mom. And then Magnum just – and I think anything Magnum said. He Again, such an amazing outlook on life. Just a, a tremendous guy. I liked the Rock and Roll Express a lot. I, I liked, you know, that to me was a lot of fun. Robert doing Robert, not saying a whole lot. But Ricky Morton, like, walking on tables and standing on chairs in the middle of the fucking room. That was pretty awesome. And they've all they've all been great for their own reasons. But I'll tell you what, it, it, we said it. If Magnum ever writes a book, here is the guy who should write a book. And you know what? It doesn't have to be all about wrestling because, again, his outlook, he almost died in that car crash, obviously left him with horrific injuries that he's never recovered from. And, you know, look, I I, I step on a Lego or some shit, and I don't know what I'm doing stepping on Legos, but I, I step on a Lego and I'll cry like a baby for like two weeks. And, you know, Magnum is like really, you know, after what he's been through, he's just very – got a, such an amazing outlook on everything he does that it's the kind of guy too it's you know i never really look at headliners to bring them back jj dylan being the only one and i i look at magnum and i'm like should i can't I, I can't wait to get magnum back if we ever do another fan fest he was that good jeff you know i i like people that have the ability to look outside the wrestling box if you will yes. now, now trust me i love guys that are wrestling lifers that can, you know, tell funny stories and, you know, uh, amplify my knowledge of wrestling history. I love that. And you mentioned Ricky Morton and, and Robert Gibson. Tremendous, tremendous guests at the Fan Fest. But then when you have somebody like a steamboat who tell, you know, we, we've mentioned this before, the, the story of his mother returning 
to Japan for the first time in God knows how many years. It really just, it, it takes you out of that wrestling little, little box and, and lets you look at life and, and Terry Allen offering the perspective of what this car accident did. And, you know, I, I think it's says a lot that he mentioned that, you know, geez, if I had stayed in wrestling and hadn't been injured, would I had the, would I have the family that I have now, you know? And I, I think it really takes a lot of, introspection for him to be able to think and realize that. And I want you, uh, people listening to remember this quote as Magnum said it, or as he's going to say it in the interview that we'll play on this episode, he said, grief multiplies if you give it any space in your head. And I I actually, when he said that, I, I sent a message to Barry and I said, holy shit, because I'll be honest, you know, like, it's no secret for anyone that listens to this show. Uh, I was devastated by the death of my dog, Gunny. And it really, really took a long time for me to, you know, we're almost two months out now and I'm still processing it, you know. And, you know, I, I was talking to Kim about what Magnum said and, you know, and how I related it to Gunny's death. And, you know, she said, you know, you really weren't getting over it until I started sending you the pictures of the other dogs until we found the the picture of snap. And until we met snap and brought snap into our home. And that is when you began to slowly get over the grief and, you know, and she was absolutely right. So yeah, I was letting that grief magnify a uh, magna, whatever inside my head. Uh, I almost said magnet, <laughs> magnetized. I, I had a magnet in my head, Barry. And we're and talking so, about, about uh, regarding Magnum too. So you're yeah, throwing that true, into that's it, true. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so magnify. How about that? Uh, or, or, or multiply. Maybe that's the right word. There you go. Uh, in my head. And, uh, so I thought that was a, a very profound statement that he made. So anyway, getting onto the episode besides the interview with Magnum and, uh, the look at Lutz and all the stuff that happened in Lutz. We are also, for a match of the week, as I mentioned, going down to Mexico for a mask versus mask match from the 21st of September, 1990, Rijo de Jalisco Jr. taking on Cien Caras. And uh, I'm going to come out and tell you right away that one of the things I mentioned to Barry, and I think I can safely say that Barry agreed with me, is that the match itself is it's okay. But... All the stuff that happens leading up to the match and all the stuff more important that happens after the match is really what makes this something I think you should see. So don't go in there expecting to see Flair Steamboat from Nashville because eh, you're going to be disappointed. So, Barry, I remembered before we go to the match of the week, a couple things uh, that I forgot to mention. We uh, in another segment in the show, uh, Barry and I had previously recorded uh, a segment about stuff that happened in Lutz. There were a couple of things that uh, I did want to mention, and that is Jody Jody Malenko told a funny story about his dad, uh, the great uh, Professor Boris Malenko, where he was telling a story about how this uh, this lady where they lived, because they I think they said their house is in New Jersey. Is that right, Barry? That was right, yeah. Yeah, and how uh, I guess <laughs> the great Malenko was confronted by a woman uh, somewhere outside the arena, I don't know where it was specifically, but she said, you know, I know who you are. You are not the great Malenko. You're Larry Simon, and you're from New Jersey. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. You've got me confused with somebody else. Uh, no, no, you're Larry Simon. You're from New Jersey. 
And then the great Malenko goes to the arena, wrestles, goes out into the ring and is looking out in the crowd, sees the woman out in the crowd. And I think this was the same day, by the way. Okay. Sees the woman out in the crowd, looks at her and the woman starts cursing at him for being a stinking hated Russian. <laughs> <laughs> That was an awesome story. Uh, the other uh, two stories I want to tell real quick is uh, Bill Apter was doing his uh, one-man show, and I can't remember if it was Marty Funk or if it was somebody that was sitting next to her, but there was a woman who shouted out something to Bill Apter during the show, and Bill turned to her and said, I work alone, lady, which if that was Marty, I think that's pretty funny. That is. I don't and- remember who that was. I. I don't think it was. I think it was – do you know the gentleman? He's been – I think he's been to almost everyone. He comes in a wheelchair with a family. It's like a family of five. Yes, yes. I think it was the I, – I don't know if that's his daughter or daughter-in-law, but the young lady that's always in that group. I think that's who he was referring to, but he was joking around with her as well. How great was he, by the way, Bill Apter? Oh, yeah. It was a fun show. Lastly – I want to tell this was this is a great uh, example of somebody working a worker, and it's our old friend the Doc Philip Kahn. Uh, shout out to you, Doc. By the way, it's always good to see you at the Fan Fest. So, Philip Kahn, uh, board certified surgeon Philip Kahn. By the way, that's there. what we heard. Yes. yes. So apparently, Philip's in line to have his book. Uh, signed by Dory Funk Jr. And of course, uh, Dory's wife, Marty, is there monitoring what can be said. And uh, it was very specifically stated uh, in a, I think, uh, David Penzer sent a notice out uh, and uh, the CWF group that if you are going to have anything signed by Dory, he's only going to personalize it because, you know, he's very, uh, Marty's very mindful about anyone signing things. Uh, you know, Dory signing things that people can turn around and sell. And, and whether you agree with that or not, that's the way they do it. Uh, that's the way they do business. So anyway, so <laughs> Philip is in line and I guess he's the next person to have his book signed. Okay. And so, um, he, Marty is standing there and he looks at her and he goes, you know, can I just say that you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. And he said, Marty turns and looks at him and basically kind of be like, well, well, that that's so sweet of you to say thank thank you so kindly and he goes oh no you're welcome uh by the way would you mind if i had dory sign this to dr philip Kahn, board certified <laughs> and she goes well of course no problem <laughs> and i thought that was the most awesome story way to go doc uh, that is great you, too I, and i, I want go ahead yeah. I walked in on something. Now that you're saying board certified, I was over talking to Steve Kern, who was at the same table as Ian Douglas, author of that really great Bahamas wrestling book. And even Steve was teasing Dr. Philip Kahn about being board certified. And I think he actually wrote that. So that is funny. Yeah. So there you go, Jeff. A little flattery with Marty Funk will soothe over anything, apparently. (laughs) That's that's what we're getting, right? Those right. board certified surgeons, they know how to get their uh, their signature just the way they want it. So on that <laughs> note, Barry, why don't we go to our match of the week and we're going down to Mexico. Barry time once again, match of the week going down south to Mexico 
And we are joined by Roy. No, we're not joined by Roy, Roy Lucier because Roy's driving his truck today, apparently, Bear. Uh, the, the strange text messages from Roy Lucier that both of us have gotten. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Roy. <laughs> when did when did Roy become a truck driver, Jeff? And is I this- don't know. It's, a, it's yeah. a character on the 605, truck driving Roy Lucier. There you uh, go. Howard Baum will soon be doing the impression, uh, no doubt. So uh, we are going to uh, the 21st of September, 1990. We are going Rio de Jalisco versus Cien Caras. Mascara be mascara. Uh, as we were doing uh, the old mask match. Now, I, I told Barry this uh, popped up on the old YouTube feed, and, uh, you know, I watched it. I'm going to just put this out there. The match itself is okay. It's not like a super spectacular match. But I will tell you the sheer spectacle of what happens leading up to the match and then post-match makes this a match I thought was really interesting and very compelling. Ooh, Barry Rose, what did you think of the match? That's probably a good way to look at it, too. And I I would say the match – so here's the irony of it. I saw this match when it took place, 1990 through about 92 or 93. I don't think I missed an episode of of this Liz Lucha Libre with CMML. And it was on – if I remember correctly, I was living in Bay Harbor Islands, and it was uh, Sunday nights at, like, five or six o'clock. I forget what time it would come on, but I would record. So I remember seeing this match and I think it had uh, a, probably a greater impression on me back then. Some of the Lucha matches don't necessarily age extremely well. And this match is, I don't know. I think, you know, I think your description was absolutely perfect and that the match itself is it's average. There's nothing about it that screams, oh, my God. What takes place when it comes time to take off the mask and then the mask eventually coming off was huge. And it's the emotion of everyone in the crowd. They believe that this is life and death to, I think, a lot of these fans. But even the guys in the ring, the seconds, and my God, does that ring fill up with so many people, Jeff? It, it's That's what's exciting. So, uh yeah. I think the best way to describe this is if you love Lucha Libre and if you love, I guess, the cultural aspect of it, if you love what it signifies and it's about, then this is probably fantastic. If you're new to Lucha Libre and you want to watch a really hot match, this may not be the match for you, though, again, the last five minutes you probably would want to pay attention to. With that, I don't remember Jalisco I, none of this translated to today because Jalisco is, uh, he's not, and what's the nicest way to say it, Jeff? He's not the most coordinated of professional wrestlers. He's not the most graceful. Maybe that's the way to say it. And there's a period where he's doing these headbutts. He's got this headbutt gimmick. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. It's very bizarre the way that he does it. He does like repeated headbutts, but from like a weird stance and they appear to be like in the chest of his opponent. So it's kind of odd. He's got a little bit of a belly on him, but can't deny how popular and how over he was with the crowd. And that's really the name of the game right there. So it, this is a mass versus match. The, well, the- let me, let me ask you. Sure. I, I don't mean to interrupt. No, One please. of the things again, when I was talking about the, uh, the end of the match and the spectacle that happens at the end of the match without getting specific at this point, we will eventually. Do you know a match that when you saw this, that you were called, uh, like you went, Oh, this reminds me of this because, because I have a very definite one. Uh, 
No, I don't think it necessarily. Okay, I'd be so, curious so, to hear. So the yeah. match that this reminded me of, and I'm talking strictly the uh, not, not just the finish of the match, the uh, end of the match, the spectacle that occurs in the ring, to me was very reminiscent of Gino and Chris Adams versus the Von Erichs in the Cotton Bowl with uh, the hair on the line, and you know how Gino tried to escape. And then he was tackled by the, uh, the young Von Erich. And to me, the way that, that, uh, Cian Caras tried to get away and how many people were in the ring and all that. Uh, here's a good word for you, Barry. All the Michigas that goes on. <laughs> Michigas. Uh, I, I know you love when I use the Yiddish expression. Oh, yes. Uh, but you know, just the, the chaos and, and everything that was happening was very similar to the finish of the Gino Chris versus the Von Erichs match. What do you think of that comparison? Yeah. That, and that comparison, Jeff would be 100% correct. Check. And partly the reason I would say that, if I that remember... That was for you, Flaherty. I, I mean, Spiker, I'm sorry. If I re- <laughs> That's an inside joke right there, by yeah. the way, that I think three of us got, which would be Lou, <laughs> Jeff, and myself currently. I think the comparison with that, I think what makes that so unique is the match itself, the hair match, wasn't really much to write home about. It was yeah, what took true, place. True. Yeah. So that, that's why I think that's, that's a very, very good comparison. And that would have come, I, I guess, some four or five years earlier, that match right there. But fall one is interesting too. Cien Caris has Jalisco in what appears to be like if he was setting him up for a tombstone pile driver. Maybe a reverse upside down bear hug. It's very bizarre, but it almost appears like it's like they're doing like a standing 69, which I don't think was probably the intent, but that was the first one I'm watching. Barry, Barry for our younger listeners, do you want to explain what this 69 <laughs> is? Sure. For the listeners who don't know, this young Antonio uh, is, I was going to say, if Benji, if we could lower the, uh, the radio for a minute, the stereo, wherever you're listening, the, the, <laughs> It's where you line up genitals, a man and a woman, two men, two women. Two people will line up genitals with each other's mouths and perform simultaneous oral sex. I feel so, I feel like a doctor right You're now. You're very technical. Do- I know. Dr. Barry Rose making his very first my appearance. My God, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm teaching like second graders with this, though, of course, everyone except for Antonio probably knows what we're talking about. But it is really bizarre to see it, and it's bizarre to see it as a wrestling maneuver, but it also defies all logic in every way that they would do that. Uh, that with that being said, I got a kick out of it. Uh, I already discussed, uh, Ryo's weird headbutts. I, I don't really understand them. There's a period where it was, it's the kind of, it, it's the kind of thing you would see somebody like, uh, Antonina Rocca or like Ricky Starr do. You know? Yeah, you know what else? It was kind of like JYD's headbutts. They just didn't appear to be real. Yeah. And it's just a bizarre thing. And the truth is the first two falls occur rather quickly. The third fall is where this match heats up and it does heat up. But again, it, to me, it's, it's what takes, as you said, it's what takes place when this match ends and it's the spectacle of seeing it. And it's, it's to see, I, I think the real takeaway is how important from a cultural aspect professional wrestling either was or is to uh to the country of Mexico because this is serious shit to them. This is a big deal what we're seeing right here and I don't know if we if anything like that occurs in the US currently at think, least with the big promotions. I think culturally lucha libre is far more important to Mexico than pro wrestling is in the United States and it it might be the kind of thing that's almost Strictly from a cultural impact, 
it might, you could probably equate it to like sumo wrestling in Japan. You know, I, I mean, it's just so ingrained, uh, in, in, in their sporting mindset, you know? So, uh, anyway, to, uh, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. And that's pretty much it too is, uh, you know, I liked the match. I think when I first saw it, I used to, so it, I was like a Roy Lucier, but younger and less flashy. Cause, and without uh, the truck driving experience, maybe. But but if you watch, Roy's wearing like he's got frosted tips and he wears all these fancy shirts. I, I'm still wearing like the extra large he, black shirt. He's kind of working a Frankie Seacrest uh, gimmick there. He is absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Frankie took a lot of shit from uh, Bud Heavy at the wrestling event uh, this past Friday night that we'll get into greater detail when we do a fan fast recap. But yeah, Frankie and Roy, they may be shopping at the same store. So yeah, but with with I was like a young Roy because I I used to record every episode. I used to uh I don't think we had DVRs back then, so I would actually put the videotape in, record and then I would take off the best matches and uh I I had all these comp matches from Lucha Libre. This was one of them. I would say match itself if I was rating it two stars. I don't think I would go much higher than that. End of the match, that's a solid four stars though. Well, here's what I liked about, cause I like more than that. I like the beginning, uh, as they start the, uh, you know, the video starts on the, on the match. There is a contract signing. It's, it makes it very official, uh, that they're doing the, uh, the, the mask versus match, uh, mask versus mask angle. And, and I love when they do like the contract signing. It just oh, yeah. adds a certain, uh, you know, authenticity to it. Uh, they do it as part of a music video, which is very cool. So then as they're doing the walk-ups to the ring, Cien Cara grabs a guitar and just lays out Rio de Jalisco Jr. with the, with the guitar shot, which is just absolutely a, a beautiful shot. Uh, and, uh, you know, as Rio is like kind of like stumbling to get up, you have a, a fan come and a fan comes and is holding him up. That's what I mean about how Lucha Libre is so ingrained, uh, in, in the culture of, of Mexico that, that a fan, uh, and no, by the way, nobody, it's not like security runs out and goes, what the hell are you doing? They're letting this person hold up, you know, the, the mask wrestler. Uh, and it was just a, it's kind of an amazing visual. This is a, I love when they, uh, they're, they're doing the, uh, the graphics to show who's wrestling, uh, you know, the, the two combatants and they say, uh, Rudo versus Technico, uh, just in case you have any question as to who the bad guy is here, bear, uh, they want to let you know, <laughs> I love uh, that. as you said, first, uh, first of all, it goes literally two minutes into the match. We've got, uh, you know, the, uh, I put down pile driver question mark because <laughs> I wasn't really sure was that a pile driver or was it something else but Cien Caras gets it the second fall goes to a uh, Rio de Jalisco after uh, as you mentioned uh, his uh, series of rather strange looking headbutts so I do have a one question as you're watching this match did you get the feeling the ref was a heel ref or was he just you know uh maybe <sighs> tending to favor the heel a little bit that, that's kind of the feeling I got well, they had, and I, I forget, I don't think it was the same ref, but there was the ref, uh, Tropi Casas, Pepe Tropi Casas, who I, I would have the same last name as Cien Caras, and he was a heel I'm sure ref. that was just a coincidence. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I, he, uh, I, yeah, I don't, well, you know what? No, so he was, he was Casas, who was related to Negro Casas, if I'm correct. And this is Karis, who I think is, is this the father of Alberto Del Rio? 
uh, I'll bow to your better knowledge on. And I, I could be off base, but I think he might be. Sweet Lou would know this one for sure. Sweet Lou, a lot you of you who else would know, know this. Roy Lucier, who's driving his truck today, but anyway. he is. But but a lot of people don't know that that sweet scam likely Lou Kippelman is also a lucha libre expert. Maybe not at the level of Roy, because few are. But it, at the same time, he does know his lucha libre. So Lou uh, putting the kibosh on your theory, saying that he in fact is the. uh the, the it's Dos Caras that is his uh his father. So you're, you're oh, okay. now are, down the toilet. But are CN and Dos related? Sweet well, Lou's. Lou, Lou uh, do you want to join us real quick for uh, a quick explanation? Well, I'm I'm going to Google that. Oh well, see, <laughs> I know Google I know that the I know that the three Rodriguez brothers are Mil Mascaris, Psicodelico, and Dos Caras. Uh, where Cien Caras comes in, I don't know. I will investigate. Uh, Barry, did you like how uh, Lou rolled the R there? Caras. Yeah, he's, you can yeah. do that too. You guys are you guys are perfect. I can't do that shit. He yeah. lives in Cali. That's why he can do that. So I but, think it's he, required by law. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so uh, let's see. Uh, also, we had the the camel clutch spot that ended up getting reversed. And then the third fall ends up going to Rio de Jalisco Jr. with the, uh, as his opponent goes up for a body slam and then it's, uh, it's reversed into a pin. Rio de Jalisco Jr. gets the win. Uh, and then of course the shit really starts to go down. Uh, by the way, uh, uh Rio de Jalisco Sr. in the corner of his son, uh, as the match is going on. But what we have then is, now, you know, the finish has gone down and it's time for the ceremonial unmasking. And in, and in Mexico, what they do is as you unmask, you are compelled to say, uh, my name is Jeff Baldrin, uh, and I have been wrestling for 10 years or, or whatever, you know. And so they're waiting. The fans are, you know, waiting with bated breath as Snap jumps up on my table here. How dare you? Snap. Hey, Uncle Barry says hello. Uh, but anyway. So the fans surge towards the ring, uh, and the, the ring is filled up with officials with, and oh my God, photographers. Good Lord. There must have been 20 photographers in the ring and they're all trying to get a picture of Cien Caras as he finally unmasked. But then you have Cien Caras decide he wants to pull the Gino Hernandez and, uh, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, split and I'm going to get out of here. And then the people are trying to, you know, get him to go back in the ring to honor his contract, uh, and to, uh, you know, fulfill his duties, having lost the Mascara versus Mascara match. And, uh, then he goes back in and he, uh, he finally does the deed. He takes the mask off. He is revealed as to who he is under the mask and, I just, that was the part of the match that, uh, I just really love Barry because it was so much like, here's a word I've used, uh, before. It's the spectacle of what happens after the match to me that made it really compelling viewing. Yeah. I mean, you summed it up. It's again, that match is an average match at best. Uh, and, and maybe at the time, maybe that was really hot in Mexico, but it is the spectacle. This is a spectacle. I think to understand the importance of pro wrestling in Mexico, this needs to be seen. Yeah. And so we will post a link to this match again from September 21st, 1990, as it is Rio de Jalisco Jr. taking on Cien Caras mask versus mask. And check out the beginning, because I think the beginning is very good, the video they offer up. And then as uh, uh, Ryo comes to the ring, he gets the guitar shot. That's very cool stuff. The, the match itself is very, says, that's eh, really not that hot. But 
once the match finishes and we go through all the stuff that happens afterwards with the unmasking and the chaos in the ring, I think it makes for super compelling viewing. We will post a link to this match in our group, Breaking Cafe with Badrin and Barry, and give it a look-see, give it a check-out, and tell us what you think. Barry, we are back from Lutz, Florida, safe and sound in both our homes, at least our homes temporarily, correct, Mr. Rose? (laughs) So anyway, uh, but we wanted to discuss briefly, do a recap for the folks who couldn't make it. You know who I'm talking to. Yeah, you. Yeah, couldn't make it, whatever. So, Barry, for you, I think we can agree on one thing. The absolute highlight of the event, safe to say, was was Magnum. You know, he was, we didn't know what to expect when it came to Magnum. And, and it, when I say that too, you know, you had heard him on television, you'd heard him do promos, but we really didn't know what to expect. And he sat down and it was arguably maybe the most compelling two hours we've ever had at a fan fest. I, I would say Steamboat was the other one that immediately came to mind. Look, sometimes we do have two guests up there. We had Demolition. We had Rock and Roll Express. J.J. Dillon with uh, Kevin Sullivan one time and another time with Barry Windham. And when it's two guys that are friends, it's much easier. But here was Magnum literally by himself for two hours. You were the moderator, did a great job of uh, getting questions across to him. But he he literally held the audience in his hand for two hours and he was such a tremendous human being and his outlook on life far transcends professional wrestling. This has nothing to do with wrestling. He he is grounded. He is he appears to be he may be the one of the most stable people I've ever had a conversation with like he was just so grounded and realistic and positive and the stories he told were incredible. I got to tell you the one story he told and he told a lot was uh that really got me was the story about Mr. Wrestling 2 and that whole angle and I had heard rumblings about some of that but I think Magnum went on for at least 20 minutes telling that story in great detail. And uh, it was just something else. And, you know, for you, I know that you're a huge Magnum fan. You and I have talked about Magnum numerous times, and his stuff in Mid-South was really tremendous. What was it like for you being able to moderate that event? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, I thought was kind of interesting was uh, after the event was over, uh, somebody came up to me, and I really don't remember who it was specifically, but they said, did, did you, uh, maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was Craig came up and said, did you like tell him you were going to ask him about some of the things you brought up? Like, you know, one of the things I said was tell us about the night of the car accident. You know, like, you know, what happened? What, you know, did you lose consciousness? Uh, you know, all that kind of, and I had not told Magnum that I was going to sit there. Oh, by the way, let me tell you what I'm going to ask you about. You know, uh, I, I think I've only done that with one person. I've ever interviewed and it had to do with the fact that uh, it, I, I wanted to know if it was okay for me to bring up and it wasn't at the fan fest. It was at one of the dinners. Uh, I asked him if I could bring, bring up uh, an arrest that he had. And he said he'd rather not talk about that. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to bring it up then. But uh, you know, no, I, I, I did not ask Magnum ahead of time, you know, or, or mention that I was going to do that. So, you know, he gets hit with a question was, you know, 
much to his uh, nickname uh, as Gordon Soley gave him, the Virginia gentleman. He was a complete gentleman, answered the question, also discussed some stuff that happened, uh, you know, post-accident, the arduous nature of his rehab process, which I I can't even imagine. And then after that, as he goes into, uh, you know, showing up at the Crockett Cup in Baltimore, and what was interesting was he talked about, Barry, was how tough it was for him just to walk out towards the ring. Because of all, you know, I mean, at that point, it had been hmm, seven, eight months maybe uh, since his accident. And the fact that he still physically considered it a real struggle to get out of the ring uh, or towards the ring just to do the hug with uh, with Nikita and Dusty, I thought was very compelling stuff because I hadn't realized that. Of course, you know, as you sit there and look back on it, well, of course, he had this catastrophic car accident and, you know, obviously took an incredible amount of strength, you know, physically and internally just to make that walk out towards the ring bear. Yeah. And, and I remember that was a, that was a powerful moment. And, you know, that's, that's what I liked about Magnum is that he didn't dodge any questions, which I thought was always great. And he didn't try to work around an answer and talk in circles. He was pretty direct and pretty straightforward, but what he went through is something that, uh, and I'm talking about obviously with the car accident and then the rehab and in life is something that I don't think for the most part, any of us will ever understand fully, but his outlook, the positivity. And he said something and there were two things that were a takeaway for me. And I should say the first was Jimmy Garvin on Friday night when Jimmy Garvin basically was saying money's not everything. You know, he goes, I did promoters screw me. Absolutely. They did. And I lost money, but I never worried about it because I was living my life and I was enjoying what I was doing. And he said, if I had made the money, it wouldn't have made the difference. I was having a great time. And that that's such a pragmatic and, you know, that's such a great way to look at it. Magnum was very similar. And Magnum basically talking about how he had been married at one point. Uh, I think this had occurred when he met his wife in Florida when he was working for CWF and uh, had gotten a divorce. And he was he was pretty emphatic about the fact that, if he had stayed in wrestling, he probably never would have had a family. And he said the wrestling business, as we know, it's terrible for wrestling for families, and, you know, especially back in the territory days. And he was very adamant that, you know, had had he stayed in wrestling, he wouldn't. Now he's he's been married for many years. He's got beautiful children. And from all accounts, Magnum has got a very loving, supporting family uh, around him. And he really seems like he's in a great, great place. And I got to say, it's it's inspiring because, again, here was a guy that was as close to death as I would imagine anybody could be, right? And uh, to be able to pull it out. So it, that was a really big takeaway, His just how genuine and honest he is. Well, and, you know, one of the things I thought was especially interesting was uh, he pointed something out. I, I believe it was Jim Ross had said to him that, his entire career was like seven years and then it was over. And, you know, and I, I thought it was very interesting, uh, his answer to, uh, my question about the, uh, sort of infamous baseball bat angle with Dusty and Tully and him. Uh, and he said in hindsight, he probably shouldn't have, uh, agreed to the angle, uh, you know, because it involved, you know, and if you, you watch the angle now, I mean, it is so obvious that JJ is literally cradling Magnum as he goes down to the floor to make sure nothing, uh, you know, happens to him, uh, of any, you know, kind of adverse consequences. Uh, but 
still, you, you have somebody who is, you know, so closely removed from such a horrible, horrible event and to put them in harm's way, uh, in, of any sense really speaks of the desperation. I think that, uh, that Dusty might have been feeling, you know, with some of the, uh, the pretty major financial problems that Crockett was having with all the extra expenses for the planes and stuff like that. And then, you know, I, I will say Magnum did not get in that. I didn't quite frankly ask him that, but, uh, I mean, the fact that he asked Magnum to do that angle, there had to be a level of desperation going on with Dusty at that time, Bear. Yeah. And I think that's also professional wrestling is, uh, there, you know, it, it, you're in the business. You're a lifer. My God did world class and Fritz von Erich do some things that in hindsight, they probably wouldn't have. Florida had it too. I mean, you know, the whole, uh, free birds, Mike Graham angle, uh, talking about Eddie Graham and committing suicide was tasteless. And I, I think there's a filter that somehow in professional wrestling tends to go away. Oh yeah, that's yeah. fine. We can do that. But yeah, I, I well, think and, and I think, I, I think one, one of the things I even said to, to him was, do you think this was a poor idea or do you think it's like, nah, it's wrestling? Uh, and you know, and quite frankly, there are things that have been done that were either in bad taste or just plain bad ideas. And people will chalk it up and say, ah, it's just wrestling. You know, I, I mean, good Lord thing. You know, the, the, you mentioned the Mike Graham thing, you know, uh, uh, your buddy Roberts, your father was a loser. And then of course, Mike reacting and, uh, you know, he said things about my father that I'll never let stand. Uh, and, and you mentioned the Von Eriks and good Lord, Barry, there's just a litany of poor angle or poor Owen ideas. Hart's, I mean, Owen Hart's death, the subsequent show the next day. Brian Pillman's death and how the WWE exploited Chris Benoit. Death. Chris Benoit when they knew the story apparently going on air, they knew what had happened. I mean, it's we could probably sit here and do a whole show just based off of these tasteless angles. So yeah, I would agree. But it was it was nice hearing Magnum's response because his response basically was, yeah, that probably wasn't the best idea. I forget exactly what what the verbiage was, but he acknowledged that. Yeah, that wasn't a great idea. So I like the fact in hindsight that they can see this as well. Yeah, and then we had uh, you know uh, some other guests that were there. You know, like. Uh, I know we had Bill Apter doing his, uh, I guess you could call it his one man show. Yep. Uh, and, uh, so many of the other guys that showed up, uh, uh, nice to see Steve Kern there and, uh, uh, Robert Fuller, uh, Scott McGee, Dory Funk Jr. was there, uh, signing, he had his book and was, uh, signing autographs from his book. And everybody seemed to be on, uh, on very good behavior. I don't really think anyone got uh, egregiously out of line with anything there. No, and I think I know what you're referring to with that. So, uh, no, but I, I mean, like, even, yeah, yeah. even like, you know, you, I didn't have any, uh, dare I say, Penzer complaints. <laughs> First time ever, Jeff. First exactly. Time there ever. was no, like, he's making me crazy. You know, you, I didn't have any of that. And, you know, everything, you know, I will say that, uh, uh the, uh, sainted Mrs. Bowder and I had a very nice day there, uh, and not just, uh, enjoying the, uh, the, the folks that we, uh, had come to know, but also, uh, we did pretty good on the old book sales and, uh, and magazine sales and stuff like that. As I always say, uh, you know, if Mrs. Bowdrin leaves the event and, uh, is, is sitting there saying it was an okay event, uh, we did well, then I'm happy, you know, the happy wife, happy life. But, uh, Barry, uh, let us all now mention, uh, the fact that Barry very happily, uh, joined by the lovely Linda who made her very first Legends Fan Fest event. Uh, how did, uh, Linda, like greeting and, and being introduced to all the people there. Did she have an enjoyable time? 
She did. She had a great time. And I think she was a little embarrassed when it was right after the Jody Malenko segment where I said, everybody, this is Linda. Please wave to her. And and 70 people in the room all said, hi, Linda, and waved to her. She was a little embarrassed uh, by that, but she uh, she really liked it. And she, uh, I believe, Jeff, and if I'm correct, she was even texting with the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin today. So uh, to give you an idea, they hit it off, uh, which I, you know, I'm obviously thrilled about. But she really liked it. She met some great people. She, uh, she had a lot of love for the people that were there because really, you know, everybody there is just, it's wonderful. It's a, it's such a unique experience. And, you know, Here's the one thing I, I've been talking. If you've never been to a fan fest, if you have, I'm nothing I'm going to say is going to be shocking or surprising, but I've been saying that this is not your typical. It's not your average fan fest for the last five, six years. And, uh, I think a lot of people had the chance to experience it. We're smaller. We're more intimate. It literally is like a very, very large group of friends getting together. Professional wrestling is the bond that brings us, but there's a lot of side shit taking place. But that wasn't lost on uh, on our guests either. Bill Apter came up and said it to me. And it goes, you know, Bill Apter does uh, – he's probably done – I don't know, a thousand events in his career, something like that. And Bill said, I've never done an event like this. He goes, this truly is a family atmosphere. And, you know, I've been, I've been talking about this guy in Charlotte running an event and he and I are about to go head to head, which would be a good thing. You know, sometimes it's good when stuff like that happens, but you know, he, it's a much larger event that he runs, but he's essentially, he's glommed on to a lot of what I say. And and when I say something mysteriously, a week or two later, it appears on his Facebook advertising pages. So I have no problem if you want to go to an, a larger event where you'll wait in line for an hour or two or maybe even longer, you're going to pay a lot more money. Have at it. That happens in Charlotte. If you want a smaller more intimate experience where you can talk to the guests, not just for 30 seconds. You're not just shuttled out of line. You can have meaningful conversations. This is the event for you. So it wasn't lost. Magnum also saw that, the, you know, he said it to me, he said, this is an event unlike any I've ever done. Jimmy Garvin immediately in his head is going, you know, so what if you and I got Michael Hayes and we took this concept across the country. So it was just funny. It was funny to see the reactions of, uh, of the talent, the guests that we had there because they see it also, Jeff. And you know, it, for a lot of people, the wrestling has almost become secondary. I also wanted to mention uh, our friends, uh, Ben and Kelly, who, uh, did the, uh, sponsored the event for Jimmy Garvin the night before Absolutely. the Q and A and, uh, Ben James and Kelly Miller was just super, super fun. Uh, Jimmy's Q and A segment was absolutely awesome. Just basically picking people out of the crowd at the wrestling show. You know, what did you want to ask me? And, you know, he was, uh, not just informative. He was funny. He was engaging. Easy and then, going, right? Yeah. It's easy going. And then we want to, we want to thank our friend, uh, Sean Davis for the promotion uh, that uh, puts on the show the night before the event, uh, which we've gotten to be uh, very uh, friendly with some of the guys that work the show and the interaction between them and us is just so much fun. And uh, the lovely Mrs. Bowdrin and Linda attending, uh, you know, their first events with us of, uh, you know, wrestling nature. And 
there was a point where my my wife said, uh, I said, did you have a good time? And she said, well, she was it was fun. She was a part of the fun was just watching you interact with the wrestlers because she said you were hilarious. Mrs. Bowdrin gets up to, I don't know, get, get a drink or go to the ladies room. So her chair uh, front row, naturally, Barry, because they they're familiar with this podcast, quite frankly. Uh, but anyway, her seat is available. So now. Her chair begins to be used as, you know, part of an angle and somebody's getting their head slammed in. Somebody's sitting down in the chair. Uh, and then we, uh, we covered uh, in sweat. When yes. She got and that. then we uh, got to do the bit with, uh, where, or Francisco Siato, you know, we grab him by the arms and then they're giving him the nut shot. And Linda, you know, just has this look of horror on her face. And then the other thing I want to mention besides all that, Mrs. Bowden comes back. What did I miss? And, you know, well, you know, but. Let's talk about how the wrestlers, uh, particularly one of my camera, which one specifically, was fascinated by Frankie Seacrest's shirt. That was Bud Heavy. Bud yeah. Heavy. And, and so yeah. then uh, there was also a guy that was the uh, sort of their champion that was also pointing it out and said that he really liked it. But that, but Bud Heavy, who uh, a very nice guy, said something about where did you get that shirt? And Frankie, of course, immediately sell, uh, sells the lovely Jana out and says, "Well, my wife got it for me." And he turns and looks at Jana. And begins cutting a promo on Jana for buying Frankie the shirt. And it was hilarious. Just the look of horror on Jana's face. Yeah. And he's, a, and Bud Heavy is a talent. Bud Heavy is a guy. He looks similar to Adrian Adonis in that he's girthy in the midsection, but he does it. He's got thinner legs and thinner arms, but there's a real Adrian Adonis thing. And as a bump taker, he's, he's, he could be on any roster, I think. Maybe not Japan, but he could work anywhere in the U.S. with his bump taking, I think. And we, we talked with him for a while afterwards. I know he's got some big things coming up. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit to, uh, Ben and Kelly and Sean Davis. So Sean had been talking with me, geez, probably since after the third or fourth show about trying to work something out where we could do a show together, a wrestling show combined with this. And he wanted to do wrestling at the hotel. We checked. They would not let us have live wrestling at the hotel. We then I checked. What about the parking lot? The fact that there's not enough parking spaces to begin with, they didn't want to block off the parking lot. Sean, over the last like year, has taken over essentially the Booker spot at this at the wrestling school. So this is a natural, a little longer than a year at this point. This is a natural for us to be doing it. Ben and Kelly, Ben has been essentially a benefactor and a sponsor uh, since the second or third event that we ran and there was a way that I've been trying to pay Ben back and get Ben involved because if I need somebody Ben is right there for me uh he has always been there for me he and Kelly and they have shared things uh privately with me you know I think the world of both of them and the fact that we were able to coordinate this and get Jimmy Garvin there to do the Q&A and he was spectacular I mean you know Jimmy Garvin first off doesn't do Q&As he doesn't do Q&As at wrestling schools from the ring this just doesn't happen and he was so engaging so friendly so funny but 
so easygoing. Jimmy Garvin is just like, you talk about smooth. He is easygoing. Nothing's going to rattle him. That was great. So thrilled we can do it. I spoke with Ben the next day on Saturday, and I got to tell you, Ben's like, so when are we doing this next one? When can we do it? And who's the talent we can bring in? And uh, Ben had a list of guys that he wanted to come in. Jimmy Garvin was right there on that list. So we're looking at that, but just so exciting. You know, it, it, the Fan Fest, you know, you go back to the first one. And, Jeff, I think you and I might be the only ones that have been at every single Fan Fest. I guess Penzer, me, you, and Penzer. I don't know who else has been to every single one. Pete missed one. Bobby Van Cavalar missed one. You know, so I, I, I guess Ben. Ben James is the other. Yeah, Ben's been to every Does, single would one. Bobby, would you say Bobby missed one or one and a half? <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what I did there. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby will get that joke. He, he will. He absolutely will. But uh, it was, you know, again, to wrap it up from my perspective, just a wonderful, wonderful time. Jeff, do you have one story? I know I have one. Do you have one story that stands out for you in the fan fest? Yeah, well, I, I just I was just thinking about this. Uh, uh, the show on Friday night at the wrestling show, my wife, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, but just to remind everyone, is an occupational therapist. So during the uh, the aforementioned Bud Heavy match, Bud Heavy's opponent, uh, well, first of all, there's two things about that match. Number one, uh, Bud gets thrown. They do the spot where he gets thrown into the corner, and his opponent, I don't know if Bud mistimed it, his opponent mistimed it, or if it's a little bit of both. And Bud goes in and was thrown essentially on his head, and it was yeah. a very dangerous-looking spot. And you knew that something was wrong because immediately one of the, uh, the guys, uh, uh, was it Rick Thames? Uh, comes running down to the yes. ring to check on him because they were seriously worried that he'd either gotten a concussion or or maybe even something far more serious. But uh, earlier in the match, uh, as as Barry mentioned, Bud is a uh, I'll be polite a, a heavier guy, okay. And so uh, his opponent gets him up in the uh, vertical suplex, okay. And at this point, Mrs. Bowdrin is sitting next to me, and Mrs. Bowdrin, uh, as she's watching uh, this guy go up, uh, this large individual go up in the vertical suplex uh, spot. She looks and she turns to me and she goes, you know, if you look, you can you can tell he's got a hernia, <laughs> which I thought that was awesome that my wife is looking at things from a medical point of view, Barry. That's well, she's very, very serious. She's got to take that very serious. And it was. So I, I do have a story and I have to temper it by saying that I'm not going to reveal the name. Uh, and then, Jeff, I believe I, I'm, I'm keeping him on hold, but I think we have a special guest on the I line. I think we do. Him. I think we do. Yeah. Should I should I hold the story and should we go to the special guest? Uh, let's say because I, if it's the story I think of, even after the appearance by our special guest, you folks are going to want to hear this story because it is absolutely awesome. Barry, it is now time for us to reveal our special surprise guest from Lutz, courtesy of Barry and Penzer. You know what I got to say about this, Bear? What do you got to say? Wake up, Maggie. I got something to say to you. It's our old friend Magnum T.A. Good to see you, Terry Allen. How you doing? Good, 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 good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still kind of rolling on a high from uh, seeing some old, old friends uh, last weekend. And uh, it, it was just great to be part of that uh, that whole get-together there in, in uh, Tampa. I thought he was going to say he's he's still on a high from seeing you and I, Barry, which that would have been really nice of him to say that. That would have. It wouldn't have been true, but that would have been nice. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so, Barry, I think you wanted to ask Magnum some of his thoughts and uh, his highlights of the weekend. 
Yeah, and it was, you know, it was a really special time. And I, I, we just, we were recording a segment just discussing the fan fest. And I'm really so thrilled that you could join us. But I think there was some takeaways that I had from this fan fest. And I got to say, watching the interaction between you and Scott McGee, I have no problem telling you brought a tear to my eye. And uh, Gary has been a friend of mine for probably the last 15 or 20 years. This was his third time coming to our event. And uh, I've known him and I had a chance to talk with him earlier this week. And he was just, you know, the love he has for you and the fact what you mean to him I, I I was speechless and watching the interaction between you two and it was the first time you had seen each other in close to 40 years and uh, just seeing that interaction. And there was a moment where you two hugged each other and you didn't let go and you, you held to, held on to each other. And I got to tell you, we've had some powerful moments at our fan fests. Uh, Rick Steamboat a few years back was talking about bringing his mother to Japan. For the first time, uh, she had been gone for some 40 years and he, he got all choked up and Jerry Briscoe, we inducted, uh, Jerry and Jack as the first tag team into the CWF Hall of Fame and Jerry also got choked up. But watching you and Scott this past weekend just really left a mark and I'm so grateful that there were photos to show that what was it like, you know, seeing somebody, seeing a, somebody that you guys were kind of in your formative years when you were together in 82 and 83 in CWF, what was it like seeing them all these years later? Well, it was just the most natural, organic, joyful uh, reunion that you could imagine. Uh, uh, he, I mean, he and I were just as real as it gets back 40 years ago and just had, you know, some amazing time spent and memories made. And, uh, you know, it, it just, just absolutely, you know, beyond words, really. Uh, I mean, we almost lost him, you know, in the last year and, uh, I was, I was, you know, hanging on by a thread to even know if he was going to make it back in the States. And uh, in, in make it impossible for me to, you know, connect with him again. So this was just uh, a celebration on on a multitude of, of levels. And uh, uh, you, you know, he he sounds the same. His mannerisms are the same. My my son uh, obviously wasn't familiar with his accent, and he found him a little hard to understand. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would know Scotty Scotty's voice, you know, out of you know, just out of anywhere, he's so unique and so genuine. And, uh, and, and yes, we, you know, we were starting out, uh, you know, both very young in the business, but he was more experienced than I was, uh, you know, initially when we first tagged up. So, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, a, a, you know, great memory and, uh, something that, you know, laid the first step and the journey that I embarked on. So one of the things that uh, Barry likes to say about the CWF Legends Fan Fest uh, Magnum is that it's not your average fan fest. I'm going to I'm going to guess that you've had a chance over the years to go to more than just one fan fest. You've kind of seen them all over the country. So if you could compare the experience that you had as one of the uh, featured the featured guest uh and what you saw the interaction 
uh, with the fans and the other, uh, the other guys that uh, were there as, as guests, you know, your Dory Funk juniors, your Steve Kearns, Scott McGee, as you mentioned, uh, plus a host of others. Uh, how did you find it, uh, compared to some of the other fan fests that you've been to? It's a very intimate setting. Um, not to be, you know, swarmed with so many people that you feel like you can't do justice to anyone's questions or, or have the time to let them relay the memories that, you know, they, they want to share and, uh, which are all just so special because the thing of it is, is it, it was memories for us during, you know, all the performances that we, we had all through the years, but it, it, it instantly takes everyone back to a time, a season in their life where they can, uh, you know, remember exactly how they were feeling during those moments. And I don't know of any other activity that's so deeply tied to people's roots and their families and their, you know, their, their youth or their growing up or time shared with parents and grandparents. Uh, it's just this instant transportation of this emotional ride that, that we all go on. And they take me on that ride with them uh, when, when they're afforded the opportunity and the time to do it justice and the setting you guys had down there, you know, allowed for those things to unfold and, and truly give people, uh, you know, a time to share those moments and retell those stories and, uh, you know, just show some mutual love. So it was really really cool. Yeah. And one thing that we really liked too was having your son Tucker with us. And I tried to engage Tucker, uh, as much as I could, much like a lot of the people in attendance that day. But I think of wrestling fans worldwide. I learned about professional wrestling from my dad. My dad was the one that took me every Wednesday night to Miami Beach for years and made sacrifices so I could go to wrestling. So when you show up with your son, that actually hits home, not just for me, but I think for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, and one of the things I always do, and I usually wait till Sunday because everybody's on such a high on Saturday night, but Sunday I, I always, so what did you, you know, I started asking people, what do you think? And what did you think about this? And what did you think about that? And there was, there was two common denominators I got. One was people said best fan fest ever. And that I, I have to give you a lot of the credit for that, Terry, that was based off your Q and a, the second, I had four people say this was the best weekend of their lives. And uh, when we started this, which I guess goes back to 2017, when we did our first one, we, we didn't, you know, we really didn't know what we were doing. We were just doing something. And uh, it has now turned into essentially a weekend, about 80 to 85 percent of the people coming to these fan fests are coming from out of state. So they're flying or driving, but you really touched a lot of people. And I got to say your outlook on life. Uh, it, first off, you should write a book. I got to say, because a <laughs> lot of, it, but you know, I'm, I know you've heard that before. You would have had to have heard that before, but you've got this really positive intelligent perspective on your life and what you went through with the accident for a lot of people that that could have you almost died that could have been it and and a lot of people would have gone down a completely different route the short the stories you shared especially about 
how you don't believe you ever would have had a family had you stayed in wrestling. And now you've got a, a, a beautiful, adoring wife. You've got kids. You're, you've obviously done a great job with your children. You know, a lot of people would, wouldn't think like that, but yet somehow you have. So my question is twofold. Sharing your story is powerful and big, and I encourage you to write a book because even if it's not per se a wrestling book, it's an outlook of life. But we we have people, and, and, I, and I'll share this with you. My partner, Jeff, three years ago, two years ago, actually two and a half years ago, was fighting cancer, and we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And uh, to his credit, and Terry, this is how, how dedicated he is to this podcast – Jeff, am I embarrassing you currently? I'm going to tear up. Please. All right. He was actually recording from his hospital bed so that we didn't miss a show. And that that's powerful. But there are people that listen to us that are going through some really tough times, whether it is cancer, whether it was the death of a spouse or a child. We, we've had that over the last few months. These are really you know, serious things that could really play havoc. You've got this perspective of intelligence and positivity. What kind of advice could you give to our listeners that might be experiencing something like that? Well, it's, it's almost like you've got to step outside your own bubble to gain perspective on things because it's grief like multiplies like like nothing I've ever seen if you feed it and you allow it any space in your head. You can you can get you can and you can justify it and and feel like everybody expects that you know it's completely justified for you to feel that way and you can you can just you know you, you know just be in this warm, horrible place of decline. Uh, and, and the whole world supports you in, in the fact that you're justified in feeling that way. Or, or, you know, you can, you can look at everything as a, as an opportunity for some kind of improvement. Even, even, even things that seem completely just impossible to see any good come out of anything. And, and, um, you know, Again, you take somebody that's worked their entire life and for a goal to achieve something and, and, uh, you know, and, and see it within their grasp and it's about to unfold and, and, and that dream is dashed. Yet the same principles and work ethics and things that, you know, you applied to do that, you can take that same energy and, and find another path. So the the great test in life is is not being the strongest, but being able to pivot and be able to turn and and to to refocus and find uh, find satisfaction and a true sense of achievement in things that you may not have ever even thought about pursuing or doing before, and being open to those opportunities because it's a uh, uh, I've gone down paths of, of things that that I did that ended up becoming very successful, and I went down meandering down a lot of paths with with the with the best of intent of things that failed, but I never stopped moving. I never stopped, you know, trying, searching, being aware, being open minded, 
you know, considering all the opportunities and things uh, instead of just focusing on the negativity, because I, I know the most powerful thing we, we all have is our minds. And, and, you know, first and foremost, without a clear mind, we can accomplish nothing. And uh, I, I remember vividly uh, being when I was in the hospital and then just pushing pain meds on me, pain meds on me like 24 seven. And I finally, when I got where I could communicate because I had a respirator and initially I said, stop, you know, I said, I can't wrap my head around anything when you've got me so zoned out that, you know, I, I, I don't know which end is up. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you're a clear mind is, is just, uh, you know, you know, a, a must to, to be able to be be successful in any endeavor, whether that's being a parent or 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 fulfilling your obligations at work or doing doing anything, and as even and it even goes way back to my craziest times in life. I, I had these principles, I guess, instilled in me from my very youth, because even though we like partied and did all these crazy things that we laugh and tell stories about, I wouldn't ever do anything that would impede my ability to be my very best the next day at the path that I'd chosen, which was performing in the ring. And, and if I, if I was pursuing some, um, you know, some thing for to party or have a good time or play, and it were to, to make me not be able to be my best the next day, I wouldn't do it. It was a simple choice. I'm not saying that I didn't ever do things that made me feel that way. But the minute it did, I checked that box and said, that's not for me. I, I can't I can't be like that. I gotta be in my, my window, my box that I can function in and, and be sufficient. So, you know, excess of anything that, that takes away from you being able to use your God given abilities will will kneecap, you know, the best of folks. So the the disappointments, you know, I still have them today. I have them I, I still daily have things that are challenging, challenging, and things that are unforeseen, and and things that if, if I sit and ponder too long, how I'm, I'm going to solve it, uh, you know, I could become completely overwhelmed. But I, I purpose in my mind to take things one step at a time, a day at a time, and and let the opportunities come to me to help unfold and and give me a way to. If I can't get through it, I can't get over top of it. I'll find a way to get around it or underneath of it, whatever it takes <laughs> to get to keep keep the the uh, the boat afloat and the machine in motion. Because uh, there's no plan B for me. I mean, I've got two young kids that are, uh, you know, the last two of seven and just turned fifteen, and and I want to be engaged in the game of life to be able to point them in the right direction for. However many years I got left, good Lord gives me so that I can continue to nurture them along. So hopefully they can learn from a few of my mistakes and embrace embrace the things that I found that have enabled me to achieve some success. Barry, Terry just said grief multiplies if you give it any space in your head. And. I'll tell you, Terry, I, when you said that, I actually typed that out and I sent that to Barry because that is, wow, that's just extremely powerful stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I had a couple of things I wanted to ask you about, but I guess I kind of am going off track a little bit because I'm thinking about that quote because, you know, as anyone who listens to this show knows, I recently 
uh, dealt with my own grief and it was very hard for me to get past. And as you said that, I was like, holy crap, that really, uh, it really hits home and it's really, really true. It led me to, to wonder, you know, I, I asked you at the event about the night of your accident, uh, and, uh, you know, what had gone on. And then, of course, you discussed the therapy that, that took place that, that you had to go through after, you know, and are probably still going through to this very day. But I guess what I wanted to ask you was, was there ever a time, it would be perfectly understandable if it did happen, but based on what you just said, was there ever a time as you're lying in that hospital bed, you don't know what's going to happen. As you said at the event, you got tubes going in and out of every part of your body where you sit there and you did the proverbial, why me? Why did this happen to me? No, I honestly, in, in all honesty, and, and this is not to toot my own horn or anything else. I, I, I say this, I said a simple prayer when all this took place and I asked God to give me the strength to do whatever it took for the task I had ahead of me. And he has been faithful and true to that to this day. And I never, never, ever thought, why me? And I embraced the challenge. And was thankful for every every positive step I made forward, and realizing that uh, you know I, I learned how to do things that that people thought I would never be able to do again, and and uh, you know and, and people some some folks measure you know measure you by you know what you once did, and and you know for those people you know they can't see it they can't understand it but for 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 people that that you know come across different challenges in life and have to find 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 a way find another means and and find uh you know a, a way to to not give in and you know find fulfillment and the accomplishments that you're able to achieve uh you know that's that's the headset uh i i really you know I, i'm thankful that i didn't i didn't go down that train of thought that that trail of I thought because uh, again it, it would have just it would have been so overwhelming. It'd been like uh, the old story of you know how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. It's it, 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 you know it seems impossible, but until you you got to start the journey and you got to you got to just take it, it whether it's an inch at a time, no matter what it is, you're you're always making some strides to better the situation. So I. I'll go back to to you and your son, and again, I I love the fact that you brought Tucker with you too. But you mentioned something to me. I think it was the night that you were checking in that you guys are kind of a team on the road. That wherever you go, Tucker's right there with you. What's that bond like with your son? Well, it, it goes back to his. He and his he and his sister were born both born seven weeks premature, and they weighed a little less than three pounds each. And his sister was much more aggressive about you know, about like taking the food they were feeding her and everything, and and was was adapting quicker to you know being outside the womb for the first time. But he, but Tucker took just an insurmountable amount of work to get him to eat. So I fed him three times a day for the, his first seven weeks of life, a little bitty bottle looked like some, a baby bottle or small, you know, like a miniature baby bottle. And uh, I learned a little trick and what to do to get him to, 
be interested in, in sucking that little bottle of milk down. And we just formed this this uh, bond in that six weeks in the NICU time that has just carried through his entire life. And we've just been, uh, you know, tied at the hip in a, in a, in a very unique way, uh, you know, different than than any other, you know, parent-child relationship I've had. Well, I wanted to ask you one last question. I know that uh, our time with you is limited, and we certainly are very appreciative and uh, thankful for all the time that you've given us, not just uh, today, but at the Fan Fest. You, you know, Barry mentioned your son, and, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I asked you a question at the Q&A about, uh, you know, what sort of life lessons, uh, what happened to you in your accident uh, you could pass along to your son. But I guess in a slightly different vein, as your son goes to these fan fests with you and he sees these crowds and, and you know, uh, these people that have such fond memories, uh, not of his dad, Terry Allen, but of this, uh, his dad as Magnum T.A. Uh, and, you know, you hear these stories of people talking about the impact you had on them as wrestling fans. And uh, we had a very kind of humorous story told uh uh, by our friend Frankie Seacrest, uh, you know, when he was a 10 year old kid having a poster of Magnum in, in nothing but a robe, uh, I think coming out of a shower. And I sit there and I wonder to myself, your son, has he ever mentioned as he goes to the events, like, dad, what, what the heck was going on when you were wrestling? <laughs> and do you ever uh, show him videos uh, of your matches so that he can get an appreciation for what these people are, are discussing and talking to you about? Well, you know, kids are, you know, much more technologically savvy than, than I'll ever be. And, I, and I'm, I'm not bad at it, but I mean, they, they have, <laughs> you know, they've got, uh, YouTube and, and Google search. And, uh, you know, he's, he's seen countless iterations of things I did and from wrestling, you know, the Bloomin' Road Warriors to, to Tully and the I Quit match to, you know, all those things. And, uh, yeah, he, he's got a, you know, a different perspective because he's coming in, you know, after, you know, after the era of kayfabe and, uh, you know, presenting the business as a shoot and, uh, but, you know, understanding the sheer athleticism and skill sets that it takes to make it look the way we were able to portray it. So, I mean, he's been going to these events with me since he was five years old. So you can imagine he's had a, a lot of cultural and colorful experiences meeting, you know, some, a lot of my cohorts from, from the past. And, you know, and we traveled from here to Las Vegas and vehicles, you know, going to these events all over the country. So, uh, so he, to say he's well-rounded and well-versed is, uh, would really be doing him a disservice because he's seen quite a bit. And, but the big thing is, you know, for him, you know, I, I've shown him, ways to adapt and and to problem solve and and uh figure things out that you know he may that that seemed impossible to him at the time and i can help show him how to you know figure something out or work something out mechanically that he's trying to do and and he's always you know fascinated by it because i have a different perception perception because with only having one good working arm you have to really put a lot of thought into everything that you do, uh, from getting to point A to point B to to uh, uh, the simple things of getting dressed and doing all the things I do with one hand. And even and that's all he's ever seen of me his entire life. So he's seen 
somebody that puts doesn't just talk all these uh, fancy you know pep talk things. He's seen all the things that I've had to apply in day to day life and do, and 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 I try to do it uh, without it ever portraying this that I'm put out or it's a hardship on me because uh, you know I don't want him to ever feel like that I think I'm some lesser than. I just have a different different approach than some of the other dads out there. Well, hey, Terry, uh, on behalf of Barry and myself and Lou, we really can't thank you enough, not just for appearing today, but for uh, appearing at the Fan Fest and uh, sharing all your, your thoughts and your memories and your life lessons with the people that were in attendance. Uh, and uh, there was a, a videotape that I think our friend Bobby, uh, Bobby Van Kevlar shot of your, uh, your Q&A session. Very compelling, very powerful stuff. And, uh, wow. Thanks so much for joining us, Terry. Uh, and we really, really do appreciate your time, my man. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I'm, uh, I, I consider y'all part of the, the family now. So, uh, I, y'all reach out to me whenever you want to chat or shoot the breeze because I, I really enjoyed you guys. Very, as we, uh, are engaging in all this discussion about, uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest. Well, 27, what was it? Uh, this it was, this was nine, nine already, Jeff. Crazy, crazy. So, uh, but as always, there's always a story that happens that kind of brings up the what the hell kind of uh, statement. So Barry, you told me privately that there's a story that you wanted to share while in fact not breaking kayfabe on the name of the individual, but yet it was still such a good story that you wanted to share it with the listeners. Yeah. And it was, uh, I got to say too. And I, I, uh, when I heard this story, because he was, this individual it was a guy was talking openly about this to somebody else. I, I heard it and they said, Oh, did you hear about this? And it was like, wow, that's a story. And I felt like I had to get his permission first, but with that, he's male and that's about all you're going to get from me. I'm not going to give you, if he wants to reveal who he is publicly, he can certainly do it, but, uh, we got word. So one of our attendees came in a few days early, came in just, you know, didn't show up Saturday morning. It'd been around for a couple of days and uh, I think was relaxing and enjoying his time in Florida. I think he may be away from family and, you know, pressures of life. He's relaxing. And I don't know what spurred it on, but he suddenly got in the mood and was feeling amorous. So he's in his hotel room. And we got to say we love the hotel in Lutz, right? They do a great job. They're friendly to us, you know, and hopefully – what occurred hasn't damaged uh, our relationship with them, but <laughs> yeah, we'll find out if we, if we do another fan fest and we call to book the date and they say, we're sorry, there's no dates available. We'll know that we're on the outs, but he was feeling it. He was feeling himself, literally feeling himself. And he's in the middle of a, uh, of self, self pleasuring, if you will. And, a little alone uh, time, if you will. A little alone time. And Jeff, Jeff, going back to the days of when we did that, when we were kids, right? We were kids. I, I have no memory of what you're uh, referring to. What, what was the length of time? Were you like a, was it like a good two minutes? Would you try to stretch it out? You know, were you? I, you I know, like how you use the phrase stretch, stretch it out. Stretch it out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you very <laughs> exactly. much. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, he, he was, 
He's going to town. He's bopping the baloney, I believe, was uh, National Lampoon's vacation was the term used. And I think there's a slight knock on the door, but he doesn't hear it. Uh, the knock gets a little louder, and he says, I'm busy. It, it's, it's housekeeping. It's it's the, the house cleaner, the maid. And she opens up the door, and there is this individual, full out, dick in hand, going to town. Her eyes, apparently, as wide as saucers. She says something like, Adios mios. Uh, <laughs> we're not that, really that was your good. Spanish there, that really? Well, look, I'm, I'm, this is verbatim. I'm getting this. And she says that, and uh, she had these really wide eyes in seeing uh, this person choking their chicken. And uh, she runs for the door. Apparently, this individual, slightly embarrassed and terrified as well. Now, I was, per- on a personal level, Jeff, I was hoping this was going to take the turn of, like, Penthouse 4. Yeah, exactly. The maid, I can't believe I'm writing your uh, magazine. Yes, the the maid slowly undressed and ran her fingers across her. The ne- Selma Hayek. The Selma Hayek. <laughs> exactly. And I got to say, we've been – you've been to every – we've stayed at this hotel nine times. I've never seen Salma Hayek as, as a housekeeper here. I but, must have missed her if she was there. Yes, but, uh, but apparently – that this individual was also a slightly freaked out. His eyes were also wide as, and, uh, the, the housekeeper got the hell out of Dodge super quick. So I think he saw her again, like the next couple of days, but yeah, my biggest concern was, is this woman in therapy? Because, uh, you know, you, you catch one of our members, you know, jerk- members therapy. really is that <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? I'm a wreck right now when it comes to getting (laughs) as many of these out. So, but come on. We, we've had some good stories. Three attempted three ways, literal overdosing on edibles. Now we got somebody jerking off by the housekeeper. This is the reason if you've never made it to a fan fest, another reason you've got to make it. To watch someone masturbate from the page. Really? That's your That is the super mega ultra ticket coming up next time. So you have to kick up in the uh, the chair and watch the maid's reaction (laughs) as the stroke in the salami goes on with the maid, uh, you know. Esmeralda yes. walks in and is completely <laughs> Esmeralda. I don't know where I came up with that. But, you know, like what you should have done is you should have, you know, done it like a like a novella, Barry. You, you could have read it. And, you know, he said that the maid walked in with a, a sultry look in her eye and said, can I join you? At which point she began to slowly disrobe. I don't know why I'm talking in this voice, Barry, but I am. And then we both engaged in carnal relations and mutually shared a cigarette. If he had banged, if he had banged the house, he would become a fucking legend. Absolutely. He'd be fucking legendary. We'd be talking about this forever. That would have been. But he was very honest and said, no, she screamed and was screaming about running back to Guatemala. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> yeah. that was essentially it. So, And she said, me no like the, li- the lucha libre. <laughs> exactly. Barry, about ready to round the turn, head for home on another episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Always a good time. Before we go, I have two things I want to mention to you, Barry, because I know one, you are going to be, uh, one's funny, the other one not so funny. Uh-oh. So I noticed this online the other day. Imagine this, if you will, as a former 
manager uh, oh. at a restaurant. So someone posted, several years ago, I quit without a full two-week notice, and the company sent me this invoice a few weeks later. Uh, later. The guy quits, doesn't give two weeks notice. He gets a bill from his employer for $150 because he didn't give two weeks notice and they had to train somebody apparently for his job without him there. Can you fucking imagine, Barry? No, and I, I, I also don't believe that it's legal. I don't see any of these things. So this was an interesting thing we had, and I'll share this story. We had, uh, a young lady that, so I should say too, I had a manager that was, uh, what's the nicest way to say it? He was inept and a complete doofus. And that's probably the nicest way to say it. And we had a bartender who was working behind the bar and she was, uh, she wasn't really getting it, but a lot of it had to do with this kind of surly attitude that she had as well. So we're going to need you to work on Wednesday. Well, I can't work on Wednesday. I've got to go pick up my kids and I have to do this. But there wasn't any – it was very she, – she wasn't willing to give anything to us. So it came down to it, and my manager was relieving her of her duties on her last shift, which I think was on a Sunday. And he, being the genius that he is, decides to tell her that he's terminating her because she's too short and she can't reach all the bottles behind the bar without once realizing this is a, that's a <laughs> recipe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Enough said. So a tad uh, problematic there. Yeah. Just a tad problematic. So, uh, and I actually caught a lot of shit over that, even though, you know, it was that I didn't do it, but I caught shit because I didn't have him controlled apparently. So he does that. We don't hear anything and we get an email 48 hours later, Tuesday, Wednesday, I forget exactly what day. And the email is addressed to me and addressed to the district manager who oversees 10 stores as well as the corporate president. And she details and outlines everything that had occurred that night. And when I find out that I did not know that's why that was the excuse given that he actually let her go. So when I read that, I'm like, fuck, this is going to blow up in my face. I know that. Well, of course it did. So the GM, the district manager is getting on a plane from Florida coming up to New Jersey in two days. Uh, so he, we can address this, but he then sends this girl an email and basically says in there, we apologize. We would still in some form like to work with you if you would like your job back we are willing to he went without even a discussion with us which he didn't have to do i'm sure he had it with hr offers her her job back but at the same time offers to pay for anything that she had bought that would be work related and what would that be pair of pants a shirt and shoes so i think we wound up paying her 150 dollars. she did not accept her job back and long story short, I got reprimanded verbally for her being fired for being too short, even though I had nothing to do. But the saving grace was I got to put it on paper for the guy that did it. And I was like, all right, we're going to have to document that. But I, I think when it comes to things, and my point being, I do think when it comes to things like this, they're going to try to buy this shit off. There's going to be money involved. You know, so I, while I never experienced exactly that, that same scenario, I've been involved with it. And, uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That person's going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. It's never good to tell somebody we're firing you because of, uh, you know, 
some uh, your height, your weight, or something like that. That's a recipe for a lawsuit. I don't. La- I don't. I never understood. Like it. It, it absolutely. But everybody knows that it's a recipe for a lawsuit. And I got to tell you, we had a we had a second. And I'll share this because this was a big deal. And because I don't work for the company, and fuck them at this point, right? But we had another district manager after the one that I just told you about. And the second one was a guy. I'll say he was in his 60s, but do you remember Poltergeist 2, the guy, the old creepy guy in Poltergeist 2? He was dying of cancer at the time, but he looked really decrepit. Obviously, he was dying, but he was like, they're coming to get you. Scary as shit. This guy looked like it. This guy looked like a skeleton with skin stretched over his body. He was our boss. He had an issue with people that were overweight, and he said – one night, and it was a Friday or Saturday night, he had come up from Washington, D.C., where I think he was, uh, where he was, uh, headquartered, and came up and was working a shift with us, and we had a hostess at the front desk, and the hostess was a great employee, and she was about 250 pounds. So he pulls me over to the side, 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock at night, and my other manager is there with me, and she – this is not the same other manager we discussed before. She was about 250 pounds, and he says – you know, he goes, you've got some great employees working here, but the young lady at the host stand shouldn't be up there. He goes, you know, the host – is the first person that someone sees when they walk into a restaurant. He's right about that. You know, the Absolutely. host is, the host is, your host should never be the 15 year old girl, which is what a lot of restaurants do. The host should be somebody that could control the host stand. Cause when you get a hundred people waiting for a table, you need somebody up there who's going to be able to take care of business. So not someone a, looking at their phone is what you're saying. A hundred percent never looking at your phone or with their back to the door, engaging in conversation about the latest Netflix show. You've got to be focused on the door and the phone, and you've got to be able to pivot and talk to everybody right away. This girl was great doing that. So he pulls us over to the side and gives us the lecture about the host being the most important, which, we, you know, we've only heard that for the last 20 years. We know that. And then proceeds to bring up, if it was my restaurant, I would never put somebody with that body type up front. Now, he said that in front of a girl who was 250 pounds as well, one of my managers. So when it was over, when the conversation between the three of us was over, and there was no way I was going to fire this girl or even relieve her of her duties. And I'm going to go up to her and tell her, hi, I have to remove you from your job because you're too fat. Not a chance. So uh, uh, these were my last days at this job, too, by the way. So I – I wouldn't do it. I did not do it. She continued to work there. But the manager, when we walked away, I said, you know, that's that's I'm really sorry about that. She broke down in tears and started crying. She then went called corporate on the district manager. So I didn't have to do anything. She was so offended by the whole thing. And then, of course, he spins it. This guy was this this same guy used to flirt again. He's a skeleton with skin stretched over his body. Uh, I, I'm so tempted to say his name too. <laughs> I'm so, cause I really didn't like this guy. So I'm so tempted to say his name, but, uh, he used to hit 65, 70. He used to hit on my 22 year old employees, my 22 year old female employees who would then all say, anyways, long story short, I left the company. He was gone maybe a month later. 
he had a rack of uh, complaints against him. Just terrible. But I, I always equate restaurants, Jeff, to it was the, the last bastion of the Wild West. Shit that had occurred in restaurants continued to occur and probably still does to this day. But, you know, it, it, every other employment career, you had to watch what you were saying. You know, sexual harassment, drug abuse, all this. This was all still going in, going, taking place in restaurants years after all these other businesses and commerce had started to weed out people like that. But, you know, it, it's, it was scary shit. So I don't know. That, that was a, you know, you asked for an answer and I take 20 minutes to give you one. So. I don't know where we're going. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Barry say, Rose. it's fucking rubbed off on me at this point. <laughs> so, no, uh, you know, I'll just say uh, before we wrap up here that uh, uh, other than uh, the rest of the industry, uh, let, let me just throw out the uh, the retail uh, management and the retail store industry. I can tell you that during my years at Toys R Us uh, in South Florida, I mean, it was the mid 80s and everything like that. But uh, of course, you're not supposed to date any employees. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, or go out with anybody. I can tell you we had not only managers were dating employees, banging employees, uh, in, in the store. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, up, we, we had a, uh, a part of our, uh, the back of the store, there was a second level that, you know, was used for storage and stuff like that. We had people fucking up there and it was just like ridiculous. And, uh, to say nothing of the rather copious drug usage going on in South Florida in the 80s. Imagine that, Barry. So speaking of restaurants, I want to wrap up this episode uh, with a little story that I've not yet shared with Barry Rose. Oh, uh, I'm going to uh, tell him about. So, Barry, maybe you saw the pictures that I sent you uh, from the other night when we went out to uh, the barbecue restaurant. Absolutely. Yes. You uh, barbecue was was good. The uh, The banana pudding. With the uh, the whipped cream and the bourbon glaze and walnuts, oh, Barry, it was that good. looked great. So anyway, so uh, the family's all having a little bit of something, uh, and uh, yeah, you got the son-in-law Brandon there with us. Okay, so uh, Brandon uh, is, as uh, some people say, uh, Barry, a, a member of the tribe. Uh, are you familiar with that uh, phrase? I am. Brandon's yes. a member of the tribe. Uh, yeah, he is, and oh, uh, of course, uh, Barry, and I believe that's Luke. Uh, yeah. proud members of the tribe. So anyway, so we're having a conversation. Somehow the name Barry Rose comes up. Okay? Oh. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I, maybe I was talking about your love for food sure. and stuff like that. Being and, a Jew. Sure. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. Trust me. Just give me okay. a right. So anyway, so, uh, I mentioned, uh, that uh, I think it was it had something to do with brisket, and he started talking about having it uh, for uh, whatever <laughs> whatever holiday just happened. Uh, and he was with his father, and they they celebrated it. And so uh, I said, some, "Well, I, I don't know if uh, Barry is going to have the the brisket for the holiday too." And he goes, "Well, wh- why would Barry have it?" I said, "Well, because he's he's a member of the tribe." And he goes, "What's his last name?" And I go, "Barry Rose." And he goes, "Rose is his last name." And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh, I thought it was a nickname." Uh, he thought your last name was a nickname, Barry. What? What? Okay. <laughs> I just thought it was fucking hilarious. So, yeah, yeah. No, but in my head, I'm going, all right, it's my can, nickname. Can you reveal, in fact, to the listener, is your true last name Barry Rose, or is that just an alias? So my last name has always been Rose. Okay. I cannot say the same for my father. So I'll leave it at so that. But yes. maybe we are getting somewhere with yeah, this. You might be. You might now, be. Okay. Yes. On that note, I think we'll call it a day. <laughs> uh, so 
I will only say that while we are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Jenny, I will see you in the morning, my man. Thank you to Barry. Thank you to Lou. We'll see you next week, folks.